And welcome back to the Remnant Podcast. Of course, I am Luis Olvera, a.k.a. Audio Life, and this is... Danny O, a.k.a. Danny, a.k.a. I'm very nervous today. Why are you nervous? <laughs> it, um, this, to me, means a lot. Uh, we actually are starting a new segment to the podcast. It's called The Core. So The Core, we're going to uh, incorporate a lot of, uh, you know, questions that involve you know the religious or faith aspect of what it means to be a christian whether you be you're new backsliding and coming back to your faith but you know so we're gonna go from gifts of the spirit fruits of the spirit deconstruction all those questions that people have and they're not being answered you really are nervous <laughs> i don't it's okay i'm a little nervous too <laughs> i fumbled up the intro but and now that we're saying that, there's a reason that we're nervous. We finally have gone through the baby steps, and now we finally get to have a guest here. So I'd like to introduce, for the first time on our podcast, first guest, actually, yes. Pastor Robert Racona. Hey, Racoma. 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 Yeah. Racoma. <laughs> you see? Yeah, see? See, see what nervousness it. happens? That's it. The well, first and last guest. There you go. Terrible. <laughs> well, I'm grateful to be here today, and I'm glad I'm the first. So we are here at the Remnant Podcast. We've been listening to you guys now, a few episodes in, and um, excited to see what God is going to do with you guys and through this ministry. And so let's get it started. All right. Yes. So we'll start off with some basics. Um, I actually, when I first came here, and I think the problem has occurred with other members. <laughs> you are not Hispanic. I am not Hispanic. So for everybody that's watching right now, I'm not Hispanic. We hail from the great state of Hawaii. Yeah. And and, and when I heard that, I was like, really? Yeah. Be because the tendency tends to be from someone that uh, the people that I've met from Hawaii, taller, bigger <laughs> stock. And I'm There's like, Samoan. Oh. Yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah. We don't all look like The Rock. Oh. <laughs> or Moana. Or Moana. Oh, okay. Yeah, for Actually, sure. I have a funny story. Uh, <laughs> we went golfing with my, my father-in-law. Yeah. And for like the first four holes, my father-in-law, because he's all he speaks is Spanish, is talking to Pastor Rob. Oh, no. And Pastor Rob's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, yeah. What? And then he comes up to me, he's like, what is he saying? And then I just started busting laughing. And I go tell my father-in-law, like, like, Dad, he doesn't speak Spanish. Isn't he Mexican? Nope. No, he's Hawaiian. Yeah, now, people will randomly just start talking Spanish to me. I mean, but that's, has that happened in your whole life? Yeah, that has happened. Um, yeah, ever since I can remember, people will just start speaking Spanish. When we lived in New York, um, people thought we were Puerto Rican. Or thought nice. I, was I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. So they would just randomly, you'd be at the, um, you know, the subway underneath and the people would want directions and they would just ask you directions. And so I would just nod my head and point in a general direction and just pray <laughs> that the Holy Spirit would guide that person wow. to the right way. Um, yeah. When I would visit Florida, they thought I was Hispanic down there. When I come here, they think that I'm Hispanic. And so you have to tell people like, I'm sorry, man, I don't speak Spanish. And they'll get offended because they think that I'm Spanish. Or Hispanic. And so they're like, oh, you don't speak Spanish? We're, we're your parents in Hawaii, where we're from. Like, so we speak English in Hawaii. Yeah, and the Hispanic culture, older Hispanics yeah. find it offensive that the oh, newer generations don't, don't speak, speak 
yeah it's, it's bad like you're if you're a no sabo kid you are like shunned from the whole culture yeah yeah even even i can see that my dad i uh, remember my mom telling me the story that growing up my mom would be like hey talk to him in english so he can learn english before he goes to school and he was like nope nope in this house spanish because when he grows up and let's say he works at a grocery store i don't want someone to be like disculpe and and no, 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 no Spanish. Yeah. No. So that's yeah. me though. That's me. Yeah. So you have your family here. Uh yeah. your wife, two kids. Yes. Uh, we do know that you are here as if I'm if I'm not mistaken, executive. Yeah, I'm the pastor. executive pastor here at the church. Yeah. Your wife is part of the choir. I don't know what else she is involved in. So she's a pastor, just like um, you know. Uh, some of the, our other on the staff. And so she works on the outside, you know, uh, in her vocation as a music educator. And so she does great work with, um, with a great organization, a nonprofit organization. So she has always had a passion to work um, in that field. And so she still continues to do that. And so when she's here, she works right alongside the whole team. And, you know, if people need prayer or counseling or really any type of pastoral support, um, she's right there in the mix with me. I do. I, I have witnessed her in the back, leading the choir, leading worship, playing keys, playing. I think we've mm -hmm. talked and she's very well versed on playing. Yeah. She's, she's been incredible. leading worship since she was a teenager. Matter of fact, when I first, I was still in the army at the time and my parents, uh, my father and my mother were stationed in the small town that she grew up in. I would go home from time to time and just visit my mom and dad in Oklahoma. And um, she was a teenager then. She was leading worship for the church, for children's church, for the main church at that time, too. So she's been doing it for many, many years. So she's quite comfortable playing and singing. And, you know, her her favorite thing to do um, is to worship. And that we do, we do also know that you have your kids also heavily involved in ministry. Yeah. So my daughter, she serves with the worship team as well. From time to time, you'll see her singing on platforms. I know she sings for the youth ministry as well. And uh, Marcus is, he's um, behind the scenes. And so he does a lot of the the live camera yeah. Um, yeah. working. And I mean, I don't know all the, the right lingo for that, but he works the camera thingy and the, the button thingy for the camera <laughs> thingy and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, but all three of them, have a heart for missions. And so that's what I really do. I love, and I'm so grateful for our church and for pastor Brian and pastor Natalie's heart to, to reach lost people, no matter where God sends our church. And my wife has always had a real, real, real heart for missions. And so she works with the missions team as well, helping organizing on the ground when they go to different countries. And, um, my daughter has taken on that mantle on her heart. And this past, um, crusade that we went to Tijuana, uh, my son got to be there for the first time and he absolutely fell in love um, with missions work and just seeing how he can benefit the kingdom of God. And it's, it's been an amazing ride here at the church. So I, I was part of that missions trip in Tijuana. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was um, awesome. It, yeah, it was incredible. Was awesome. I, I got to see everything up close, but the one photo I have captured is, I literally see Pastor Deidre praying for someone, your daughter, 
next to her yeah. praying, Marcus ready to catch. Yeah. yeah. And for that split second, I was like, that is an awesome just moment right there. Yeah. So, something that I felt like, not just me, but maybe we all as heads of our household household uh, can aspire to see that moment that I just thought was gorgeous. It's years of years of prayer. You know, I've always prayed that my, uh, my children would, would serve the father and would serve the heart of the father, which is missions. And, um, that picture, somebody snapped that picture and they sent me that picture of my wife praying, my daughter praying and my son just there. And it was, you know, a culmination of years of tears and years of prayer. And just in one flash, in one moment, um, that being answered. Um, but then as I look at that picture, as I, you know, I was crying when they sent me that picture, it just, it makes my heart just swell with pride for our pastor and, you know, pastor Brian and pastor Natalie, um, their yes created the space for my son and my daughter and my wife to be in that moment. Somebody had to take those bold steps. Somebody had to challenge the church. Somebody had to do that. And I'm grateful that we're part of all that. Correct. Now, now that we're talking about mission trips and, well, your wife and your daughter being a part of the music ministry here, yeah. what does Pastor Rob listen to on relaxation times wow. or in times of worship? So for me, um, I really, if you look at my, my, my playlist, it is worship music and, man, um, that's pretty embarrassing. Um, but I like musicals. And so like, it's not that embarrassing, like, you know, the greatest showman, Hamilton um, was Les Mis, Hamilton, like you'll see a whole list. And then there's some really iconic, like the little mermaid. No, <laughs> like, um, Moana, you know, and, um, the lion King, there's some, some really good, like, scores that they wrote for those that you'll okay, see. Okay, the reason I, I, I can at least uh, understand some of the scoring, especially the Lion King, was done by Hans Zimmer, yeah. one of my heroes. Yes. Incredible lunatic. Yes. Love it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I have scores from, you know, The Last Samurai oh, on my phone, um, Gladiator on my phone. Like, it's just wow. Braveheart is on my phone. So there's not like... It's just a really weird mix of, of things, but the, the majority, and it's not a holier than thou attitude or it's just where I'm at in my right. walk with God is there's just very limited things I want to enter my ears. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, the Bible does tell us that all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. So I weigh things through like, if I'm going to watch this or listen to this, how does this profit my walk? How does this get me closer to God? Or how does this draw me away from God? And in this season of my life, where I'm going and what I see God doing in my own family, I don't want to be the interrupter of God's flow in my mm. family. I want to be a conductor of God's flow into my family. And so that means that I have to be careful what is filling my mind, what's filling my eye gates, my ear gates, so that what comes out of my mouth gate is pure and holy and life-giving to my family and an example to my son so that when my son picks up my phone or my daughter picks up my phone, it's not profanity laced. It's not worldly stuff that they say, well, if dad listens to it, then it must be okay for me to listen to it as well. 
And that's just where I'm at personally in my life. And so if you look at my phone, it's just a, a hodgepodge of worship music from way, way, way back in the day to as current as last month. Michael W. Smith, some Ron Michael Canole. W. Smith, um, wow. sheesh, um, um, I'm totally lost right now. Carmen. Um, met him. Very nice gentleman. <laughs> yeah. Very deaf too. Um, and there's some old, some old ones on there. Um, and then some new ones as well, you know? So yeah, that's what's on my, that's what I listen to. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned that, uh, right now in your walk where you're at now is what you listen to because you want to guard your ear and your, yes. your and I've never heard it as eye gate, ear gate, mouth gate. I've never heard it like that. Well, yeah. Well, the Bible says that, you know, that your eyes and it is, is the gate to your soul. Like what you see, it enters in. So you've got to guard that, you know, um, we are called to, to be watchers and we have to watch for our own souls as much as, as we watch for the souls of other people. Mm-hmm. And as a pastor and, and here at the church, a lot of what I get to do is, is to, to counsel um, with couples and counsel with, with men and, I have to make sure that what I counsel, what's coming out is what's I, what, what I've been putting in. So mm-hmm. I can't have all this nonsense. Just it's where I'm at personally. Right. I have, have really wanted to go deeper, um, a deeper level of consecration, a greater anointing. Um, I really am taking that serious in this season of my life. Cause I don't mm-hmm. know what, what tomorrow holds. I just know Jesus is coming soon. Mm-hmm. And we've said it here. Our pastor said it. Um, here he said what we do we must do quickly and that is stuck in my heart that you know jesus is coming soon and so i need to be on point so since that's where you're at now how did your walk with god begin well my mom always from very 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 well before i was born she was going to church and um so my walk with the lord started there and I wasn't really sold out to Jesus really ever until I got out of the military. So if you truly, if you're asking, you know, when did it start? It started when I came home from the military. I was in a small apartment um, in, in this place called Altus, Oklahoma. That's my wife's hometown. So I had gone through quite a bit. Most of you you know, I don't know how many listeners have heard my testimony on the other podcast that I did, but most people know that, you know, I went through some, some pretty heavy stuff in the military and had some PTSD that I dealt with for a long time. But after I got out of the military, I didn't really have a lot of social skills. Like I didn't go to college. I didn't, I wasn't going to be a doctor, a lawyer. I really didn't have much. So is that a common problem coming out of the military or is that, was that just a you thing? I think it's it's um it's more common than you think that as guys come out um you're so well trained in the military to do your mission and my particular field being an infantryman you know they're not doctors and lawyers you know right we're just just guys that want to do a mission and so a lot of them will come out and the stuff that they've seen the stuff that they've been through I mean it's damaging it's very very difficult it's a, it's a real thing. PTSD is a real thing. Right. And it, it, uh, it just really paralyzes you. you. Don't know what to do. So there, you lack social interaction here. Cause who, like if, if, if a, a military veteran walks in right now and he's just coming back from war, right. 
How does he talk to you two about it? Wow. wow. He has no way of making it make sense to you. I, I made a joke the other day because somebody said to me about something very generic. He said, it's like going to war. And I looked at him and I said, no, it's not. Like, that's like when people say, oh my gosh, this is like crack. Have you ever smoked crack? Have you ever done crack? So no, this is not like crack. Like, yeah, like right, somebody right. said, like, it's like, we're going to war. Like, I know the sentiment behind it, but no, like, so when I came out, like I had no, nobody that understood me, nobody that understood what I was going through, how to, how to deal with it. And so I went into this state of depression, this really dark place. But for the sake of my mom, I went to church, Okay, went to this little church and, um, the pastor there, his name is uh, Pastor Richard Ventonis. He was a long, he was the longtime pastor at that church many, many years. But what always impressed me about him was the way that he preached. You know, he was an old time Southern preacher and I loved his voice. I loved the way that he preached, but it was him. He would walk up and he would just open up his Bible. And I wasn't in the ministry then. I didn't know much about preaching. I know now like how that's possible, but to me, it just looks so natural. He just would open up the Bible and he would just begin to preach from the Bible with no notes, with no nothing. It was just there. And he preached a message one night. It was at a, an evening service. He preached a message about the coming of Christ and being ready for the being ready that if you're not ready to die, you're going to go to hell. And I knew I didn't want to go to hell. And so the very next day I was in my apartment almost like this, the studio we're in right now is about the same size, actually. It was like a little couch, like the one that you have right there. And I was watching a Dodger game, which is my favorite, favorite, favorite thing to do is to watch uh, a Dodger game live. But I was there watching it and it was a, it was a, a rare thing. The reason why I remember is I'm in Oklahoma. Mm. The Dodgers don't play regularly in Oklahoma. No. So I was able to watch it. So this is why I remember it so vividly. <clears throat> but in one moment, Everything that was wrong with my life, every sin that I'd ever committed, I felt the weight of it all, this crushing weight on my shoulders. And I just, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. And I remember falling to the floor and pleading with God, like, I don't know what to do here. And he said, I love you. I love you. And I said, what do I do? He said, give me your life. And that's the moment that everything changed for me. I said, okay, if you can love me, I was a drug addict at the time. I was an alcoholic. I was addicted to porn. I was addicted to cigarettes. I was completely gone, gone at the age of 24, 22, excuse me, at the age of 22, I was completely gone. I was going to hell quick. And I knew that if I died, I would welcome going to hell. Like that's how far away I was. Like I knew heaven existed. I knew God existed. I knew hell was real. And that's how deep of a depression I was because I just thought there's no way, no way that God would ever want me. So I'm perfectly fine going to hell. I'd rather go there than to live. But God had other plans. And on that floor of my studio apartment, I gave my heart to Jesus. No fanfare, no band, no preaching, no church service. 
it was just there on that carpet that I gave my heart to Jesus. And I stood up and I didn't know what to do. I'm like, okay, what's next? And the voice of the Lord said, call your pastor. So I, I called uh, Richard, Pastor Richard Ventonis, and he said, why don't you come in and let's talk? And that's wow. when I, I knew that in order for people to really latch on to this faith, you need to be discipled. And wow. men need discipleship so desperately in this world. And he just would spend some time with me and talk with me and, and help me. And then, you know, so I was saved and I was going to church and I was doing my thing. And then, you know, at that time I started kind of being interested into my wife and we started kind right. of talking, but then they moved to New York city. Oh no. Wow. Yeah. So like two weeks after I kind of moved into Oklahoma, I'm having this great life change. She leaves. And so then I, obviously I felt that the Lord's telling me I have to go to New York too. <laughs> So I made hey, plans. Hey, the Lord told me it was you. Hey, we yeah. have an episode on that. <laughs> so, you know, we, I flew to, to Oklahoma, or excuse me, New York City, and um, really started my journey in ministry in New York City because we were attending this church with Pastor Mike Ferguson, who became my very first mentor in the ministry, who um, tragically passed away not too long ago. Um, but he pulled me to the side, and he was the first person to look me eye to eye and say, you should go to Bible school. Mm. you should go to Bible school. You really, there's something that God wants for your life. And he began to just mentor me. And, you know, shortly after that, he's like, you should become the youth pastor here. And I became the youth pastor of that church. And, and 22 years later, here we are. Come on. Well, I'm very grateful for pastor Richard and pastor Mike. Oh, because man. I am too. If it wasn't for them, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be a part of my life or my wife's life. And, Honestly, quite honestly, I wouldn't have known how to come about putting this podcast together. Our lives. I'm yeah. here too. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been in ministry for a long time. A long time um, yeah. Now, I think we, we were having a conversation just before this uh, where you're talking about you used to oversee multiple campuses. Yes. How did that work out? So we were working with a, an organization that helped us plant churches. And so even though each church had their own um, maybe staff or team that would work, we still had some governance over each and every one of them. And so um, when you look at a, a multi-campus type of ministry, each campus is connected to one single campus, I guess is what but you is, would say. Was this a camp, like campuses in town or across? No, they were, they were in different, so New York City had boroughs. Yes. So you have the Bronx, you have Queens, you have Brooklyn, you have Manhattan. Um, I forgot one of them. There's five of them. Staten, Staten Island, right? Mm -hmm. And so we had some campuses in other boroughs and we had some campuses upstate, but we had campuses all over, like all over because- um, we were part of a large network of churches. And so we were all connected and we were all unified into this one large um, network of churches. And so I uh, was able to help that organization oversee multiple pastors in multiple campuses. What was your role in it specifically? Um, really was uh, pastoral support for them, making okay. sure that things were running smoothly and also um, helping discover new pastors that are willing to open up new 
churches, new campuses, you know, kind of church planting in that sense. So, so that being said, how did Pastor Rob end up at City Reach? Well, through that organization is how I met our pastor, Pastor Brian. And so I worked with Pastor Brian and worked for Pastor Brian, helping in this large organization. And um, I had my own church at that time. We had our own things that were happening uh, at that time. And um, just one, one season of my life, and I don't know who's going to be watching this or who this is going to help or if anybody from our old church is going to be watching, but this is part of the story that not a lot of people know. There comes a time that a pastor has to realize, like, where's your heart? man? Like, is it here? Is it not here? And at that time, I just, I was not there. My heart wasn't there. But why? I, you know, I just, I can't put my finger on why it wasn't there. I wasn't disappointed with the ministry. I wasn't disappointed with the result. I wasn't being hurt by people. It was just my season. I think my season was to start it, not to finish it. Like to make sure it's established. And, and by the grace of God, that that church is still there. Now it's changed names, but it's still there. The building is still there. The church is still meeting there. They they meet under a different name, but it's still there. Um, but I, I knew very, very quickly that like, man, if I keep going in this direction, I'm going to preach dry messages. I'm going to um, not pastor people. I'm not going to care for people the way that they deserve to be cared for. Right. I'm going to be, I knew that I would be money hungry um, because my, my, I was working through flesh at this point. I was, I was, um, I was being told by so many people, man, I love when you preach, you have great messages, Your content is so good. You keep me engaged. So, I mean, I don't need the Lord in the sense, like I had lost that. And so the spirit really began to convict me like, man, you, you either got to get back to it or you got to move on because you cannot stay here. So, um, I began to really seek the Lord and begin to repent. And I really felt the fire come back, but I felt the Lord saying the fire's for somewhere else. It's not for here. Do you feel that that issue that you just spoke on, happens to a lot of pastors nowadays and i'm not going to specifically say oh in the big mega churches but that hey you preach really well oh i get to stay awake when when you preach oh with this and that do you think that's a like a chronic problem it depends on the preacher um you know i know personally and you know i think there's others that are out there i can't speak for them but i have a narcissistic tendency by nature, that's just by nature, like I am. Oh, good. I thought it was the only one. You know, <laughs> and so words of affirmation are, are huge for me and I can live off of, of people's praise, but I die by their criticism. So I would go through Sundays where people wouldn't tell me anything and I would think I would completely bomb it and I would be horrible and it would take me two days to get over it. And then somebody would say, you did a great job today. I loved it. It was awesome. And I would live for days off of that rather than, you know, Lord, did I please you? No matter if anybody said anything to me or not today, did I please you? And if his voice came back and said, no, you worked in your flesh on that platform today, then that's when I would 
need to reevaluate where I'm at. So I was not leaning into the spirit during this season. And I'm just being honest for anybody that's out there. You know, you can judge me if you want to judge me, but you know, I'm just being honest. I'm way past that season. But in that season, I just was not, I wasn't there. And I can't speak for the majority of preachers or pastors or whatever. I'm just speaking for me. But I know if I'm dealing with it, there are others that have dealt with it or that are dealing with it. I just came to grips, repented unto the Lord and said, I have, I am willing to give up what I've built. And that's how I thought. And the Lord had to convict me what you built, Mm. what you built. I'm the one who builds the church. And I knew, okay, Lord, I need to step back and I need to sacrifice all of this, give it all up and repent. And so a lot of people that went through that season with me, they don't know that side of the story. I've never really shared all of that. I stepped down from that ministry with no intention of coming out here. Like that wasn't part of the plan. I knew that I needed to get back to a place of, of a real, true pastoral heart. I had lost it. And so I pulled back. And during that season of, of pulling back, because we stepped down and I spent several months still in New York City. Right. I turned off social media. I did not go to my church. We visited other churches. I still preached at some other churches, but I was, I was pulling back from ministry because my family had sacrificed a lot during that season. You know, I'd missed out on a lot of things. I traveled a lot. And so I wanted to pull back and just love all my family. And I wanted my family to be ministered to, and I needed to be ministered to. So there's a great pastor that's still my friend uh, in New York City. Um, I love him to death, Pastor John Blondo, who really helped me in the season, helped process a lot of that for me. And um, in that season, I got a phone call from uh, Pastor Brian Bolt. And he said, Hey, I want you to pray about something. You'd have to move out here. You'd have to bring your family out here. Would you, would you pray about it? So he was already here. And- yeah. Pastor Brian was already here before I got here. Um, and so I said, sure, of course I'm Pentecostal. I'll pray about it. You know, I didn't have any real intention of, you know, doing, I just didn't, I was in a season where I just didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't, I knew I still wanted to be a pastor. I knew I still wanted to be in ministry, but I was just like so far from where I needed to be pastorally in my heart that I needed that time. And so I said, but I don't ever want to miss God. I knew I had enough conviction in my heart to not miss when God says move. Right. So I said, all right, Lord, if this is truly what you want from us, you want us to pick everything up and start a new season out there. That's where you want us. I need something that is a surefire sign that I can't deny it's you. And I said, I want to go to Israel fully paid for. I don't want to pay a dime to get there. Not more than a week later, I got a phone call that said, do you and your wife want to take a trip to Israel with us? Wow. And so on that trip, we prayed. We sought the face of God. And when you're there in the Holy Land, when you're there, you're walking the same places that Jesus walked, that the apostles walked, that the disciples walked. You have a connection with God like nowhere else. 
And I got back to that and I got, I got invigorated to say, okay, so you've made some mistakes, but it's not over. You know, the Lord built that church. The Lord will sustain that church. You don't have to worry about it. And so I said, okay, I'll fully release it from my heart. I'll fully release it from my mind. And you take the church, God, and you show me the next, the next season. And he said, I did. I showed you. You got a phone call. Call him back. And so then when we got back, my wife and I spoke and we talked and we spoke and we called and we worked some things and we came and we visited. And it took several, several months before we would move out here. Um, and that's how we got here. I mean, that, that's an incredible story. I mean, that's a whole book. Yes. I don't know how long this podcast is supposed to be, but. Uh, longer than usual, but yeah. that's, that's a good thing. The, the format uh, for the interviews is going to be, uh, we're just going to run it because okay. we don't want to limit of what God can actually release through interviewing somebody. Ooh. Yeah. It's very eloquent. I know. It's very nice. You're not so I, nervous anymore, right? No, I, it, it took me a few minutes, but he's sure. got it. He's got it. He had some more. I, I learned. I learned how to be eloquent from my mentor. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> how cute! Uh, I'll take that. Now, counseling. Yeah, counseling. Uh, yeah. I kind of want to hit a few points on that one. So i I remember before coming here to City Reach, and and I don't know if it's it's a, I feel like it's a combination of a cultural thing, a masculine thing, and this weird Christian concept counseling. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Seek the Lord. Right. Well, yeah, but we have our pastors here to help us and guide us. Yeah. I didn't understand that at first. Right. My relationship with my now wife was on the rocks mm-hmm. and it took an ultimatum for me to finally be okay. Okay. I'll, I'll talk to pastor Shalom. I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'll find, I'll find a way. I'll, I'll, I'll look for some kind of counseling. Right. And the first person he's like, Oh yeah. Talk to pastor Rob. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I'm, I've only been here a couple of months. Who's pastor Rob? He's like, Oh, you're coming to the marriage thing, right? I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll introduce him to you. And I remember we, we talked briefly and yeah. we went back and I don't even remember that moment. Oh, to be honest. it was, it was very traumatic for me because again, <laughs> I had to come out of my shell of, I got to ask for help. Mm. I can't do this on my own. Right. Right. I can't just pray about it. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling when you're coming out of maybe some kind of, I, I was looking at it like in maybe in an old legalistic way, like, no, no, God will mm-hmm. just, yeah. just go to God For sure. and it, it all, it all sh- should change. And For if sure. not, you need to pray, keep praying more. We should always pray. Right. We should pray constantly. Yeah. But God gives us the tools and the leaders to help us out. For sure. If I- now, why do you feel or what are your thoughts on why, even in the Christian walk, it's still looked at as, why do you need counseling? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I mean, it, it's, a, it's, it's beyond just even in the church, just naturally men mostly 
on the outside of church, if you tell them that you got something going on and you need to go seek help, now I'm good. Most guys don't even want to look at the map to figure out where to go. Like, so it's not a church thing. It's a, it's a, it's a pride thing and pride runs deep in the church and pride runs deep in every man that's ever been created. Hmm. And so, yeah, you can tell yourself all day long, like I'm going to pray and I'm going to seek the Lord. But most of the time, the ones, many of us that need help, we're not praying and we're not seeking the Lord. We're just hoping that it'll work itself out. We'll have some good days. We'll have some bad days. We'll have some good days. And we'll just, we'll just survive because that's what we do. We just survive. Um, and so the Bible does talk about seeking wise counsel. It's important. If I break my leg, I don't want it to heal on its own because it won't heal correctly. I need to go to a doctor and I need the doctor to cast it or set it correctly or put the pins in it so that it can heal properly. And God can use a doctor to bring healing and God can bring healing in a moment. I believe in both. Right. Right. But there are some moments that, especially in the area of counseling, that relationally can bring more healing than isolation ever will. And so there are moments where there are things that I have dealt with as a man, married man, a minister in the gospel that you can't share with people or you don't feel comfortable sharing with people. And I'll walk away with the Lord and I'll ask for healing and I'll bring him comfort. But there's just something about a relational thing that when you're sitting across the table or you're sitting on in somebody's office and you're sharing everything out and then the the love that comes back across, the pastoral care that comes back across brings a different type of healing that isolation can't bring. And so I wish that everybody, all of your listeners, I wish that you could take the stigma off that getting, seeking help somehow minimizes your manhood or minimizes your faith. It doesn't. Because I think that's how I grew up feeling like it's going to minimize your faith. Right. And I think there are seasons where you just have to have faith and you just, you know what? No, I'm not giving in to this, but I can have faith and still go seek to talk to my pastor because there's things that I need to be built on. There's scriptures that I don't understand. There's, there's something that you're doing in your life that has helped you get through some of the things I'm walking through. How did God help you teach me? So again, it comes down to um, counseling is not discipleship in the sense of, of teaching us how to be something uh, like how to be a good man or how to be a good husband, but it's discipleship in the sense of how to be strong, stay strong and get through something. Now you also talked about having or going through some PTSD. Is that something you seek counseling from? Did that take a while? It, It took 15 years for me to finally walk through it all. And initially I didn't want to go. Initially, I didn't want to talk to anybody about it because who can understand what you went through? And anybody that went through it with you is dealing with it too. So I didn't want to talk to anybody, but it got so bad. And, and I've not shared this story um, with many, many people. I'll share it here for your listeners um, because I'm free from it. But one night, um, my wife and I were sitting, we were young. We didn't have kids yet, but we were young. This is early on in our marriage. She, uh, she attempted to wake me up and it startled me so bad that my hands were around her neck when I finally came to, wow, and I was choking her. And I knew that if I don't get help, 
something really, really bad is going to take place. And so I went and I spoke to my pastor at the time, Pastor Mike Ferguson, who has a very, very special place in my heart. He's my first mentor in the ministry. But the Lord has a great way of working things out. He was a psychology major and working on his doctorate to become uh, a therapist and a psychologist. And so he was working through that and he used me. So I got all that free counseling because he was working through his doctorate and he got to use me. And what I learned in that process is it's not just seeking help, but it was seeking godly help yeah. because he helped heal my mind. And it just take years. It was going to take years for my mind to really, really be unlocked. And he was helping heal my soul. And I think it's so important that people understand that we are, we are made with a mind and we're made with our, our soul. And if all I ever do is get my, my body healed, but my soul is still broken, I'm not fully healed. That's why I love when Jesus says, you're made whole, go. You're made, you're made complete, go. Because it's, you know, everything. And so he helped heal my mind, helped me learn how to heal my mind through, you know, understanding what I was walking through, what's real, what's not real, how to lean into Christ and how to pray and how to, when, when he wasn't around, when I was alone, when Deidre was gone, when the house was quiet and I was in the middle of a crowd and all these different places, he was able to give me tools to work through these moments. And when we first got here, I was still dealing with PTSD when I first got here and it may not seem big to a lot of people, but it was huge to me. It was 4th of July, which was always an issue for me and a problem for me. We bought a little itty bitty package of fireworks. I mean, I mean, probably kitty, kitty fireworks. Like the little sparklers, <clears throat> little sparklers, little smoke bombs, little poppers, you know, not nothing loud, nothing crazy. And I lit them off and, and that was the start of, of a healing of 15 years. And then this past 4th of July, I mean, I'm throwing the biggest, loudest firecrackers you can think of. I'm blowing boxes up. So, yeah. Now, is that something you celebrate yearly? Like I do. It is, it is part of my journey and it's part of me. It's a memorial to what God has done through my life. And I tear up when I talk about it because, you know, Deidre walked through a lot of hard times with me for these 15 years. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of hatred. There was a lot of unnecessary things that I brought into the home because I was dealing with something I didn't know right, or didn't understand fully. Wow. Well, before we continue, I just want to thank you for your gift of vulnerability to share those stories with us of we've overcome through power of Jesus of, you know, walk with him. It's, it's a huge blessing for, for me, for us yeah. and our listeners too. Yeah. You're welcome. Now to continue on with, the journey through city reach. Now I grew up in a, at least me, I don't know if Danny has, but I grew up in a denomination I did, where I did not, I didn't. Okay, good. <laughs> so that clears it up. All right. So I grew up in a denomination where you just had the pastor mm -hmm. and leaders. Yeah. Why is it that here in city reach, we see pastor Brian, pastor Rob, pastor Deidre, Pastor Shalom, mm -hmm. pastor, 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 and leaders. Why is that? Well, no one person can do what we're doing alone. You need a team. And what Pastor Brian and Pastor Natalie have been able to do, which is so unique 
um, is they've been able to gather and inspire really, really great and talented leaders. And so since we have been inspired and taught and mentored by them, that overflows to who we lead. And so the purpose of, of having that the pastors underneath the pastor is so that the whole church can be pastored. Mm. It's as simple as that. And, you know, it's not about this one or that one. It's about the unity within the team to do what God's called us to do. And so when you look at everything that, that this pastor does, like I don't sing and I don't play an instrument, but Pastor Shalom does. I thought you played bass. <laughs> I, I don't. No, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think you I call have the that picture somewhere. I'm, I'll put it up on here, but it's a, it's a still picture of me holding something. That's like me saying I'm in the majors and I'm just holding a bat. <laughs> like it ain't, it ain't right, the I real deal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does. ain't the real deal. But then you see somebody like, um, um, like my wife or pastor Alba or pastor Bill, you know, we have such, such a wide range of talented leaders and pastors that we're able, that's why we're able to go and take nations and concentrate on LA at the same time. You can't do that if you don't have this, this unity within that leadership and it, and that unity we have to fight for and we have to constantly battle to make sure that we're all running the same direction. Well, it's beautiful to see that unity here at city reach, but unfortunately we can't speak for all churches. So in your opinion, why is it that the modern church we can find outside influences seeping into it. Like for example, the LBGT, you know, making an appearance within the certain churches or even um, ex leaders really affirming and, and asking people to follow in the deconstruction of faith. So I think before you can even answer any of those questions, you first have to know what deconstruction is. So yeah. I don't, I don't know if your leaders know, or excuse me, your, any of your listeners know what deconstruction is. And I think that's part of the problem of why deconstruction has been. I, have, I, I barely understand what it is. I've just heard it more recently. And right. I'm like, what is deconstruction? The reason I ask is because um, there is a famous Christian group and one of their members is like, oh, yeah, he, he doesn't believe in God. He believes in God of the universe. Right. So he's not the only one. There's several uh, um, high-level um, former evangelical leaders in the faith. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, but the author of that has yeah. since divorced his wife and since— um, been in this deconstruction phase. He hasn't walked away from the faith entirely, but he does not identify as a Christian. So there's, there's that that has gone on. So I think before you can really answer any questions, you have to know what deconstruction is and the purpose of deconstruction. It's been around longer than the, the last 20 years. Really? Oh yeah. There was a guy in the sixties, um, this French philosophist that really was going down the road and labeled it deconstruction. And so people have picked up that and just used that as an umbrella to define a lot of things. But the truth of de 
deconstruction is simply to take a truth and to deconstruct it to find truth. It's the search of truth. Right. Mm. So I could say that gravity does not exist. You can tell me that I'm wrong. Doesn't mean that I'm right. Doesn't mean that you're right. But we all know that if I throw this up in the air, it's going to come down. And I can do all that I can to deconstruct my belief that gravity doesn't exist. But the point of it is to come to the truth that it does exist. And then from that point forward, move on. This is an absolute truth. Gravity is an absolute truth here on Earth. But if you go to Mars, Mm. you go to the moon, does that belief change? Does gravity exist up there? Does, but differently. Yeah, it still, it does not, it does not matter what I believe. It still exists. So when we come to the deconstruction of somebody's faith, you have to realize that they're deconstructing their belief in something or someone. They're, they're taking a truth and they're deconstructing it. But the point was to find truth. That's the whole point. So now why is it that people are falling away even if they hear the truth? Because there is a lack of discipleship. There, there should be room in the church and in, the, in, in what we do to ask questions. But I grew up when my mom would take me to church that this is what the Bible says. This is what the church says. And we don't question that. So then I was left to discover truth on my own. Well, I had a lack of knowledge of the word of God. I had a lack of knowledge of who God was. So I came to my own conclusion that because bad things happen, God can't exist. So I deconstructed my faith in God based on my situation, not based mm-hmm. on foundation. And that's, uh-huh. that's the problem. Like That's why it's okay to ask questions. Leave room to ask questions. Jesus welcomed questions. I love when I look at the model of discipleship with Jesus, he would teach on a large scale, teach on masses of pe- massive amounts of people. But then he would go away with his disciples and they would say, tell us the mysteries. And he would explain to them oftentimes, help them, walk them through. And that's the point that I'm trying to make is that because there's been a lack of discipleship in the church, we have to own what's happened through the de- deconstruction movement. It's picked up so much momentum because people have no foundation. That makes sense. So they don't have any balance of, of, of the truth. And so they move from deconstructing their faith in God, in, in this or in that, and they try to deconstruct the church. They try to deconstruct the authorities within the church and they try to deconstruct the, the purpose of church. And that's where we end up. They just walk away from the faith altogether. And do you feel that that could possibly, because I feel like I may have gone through a phase of that while church hurt. Yeah. While seeing, oh, well, this person didn't care. Why should I? Oh, look at that person, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think, I think there's some elements that have caused people to challenge their belief in something. Church hurt played a huge role in that and has played for many, many years for many, many people. Because they were hurt by a pastor, they were hurt by a church, and that person, that that pastor, that church was a representation of Christ, and so they view Christ through the lens of that church hurt. But that, in and of itself, is not is not deconstruction. That's it's not what that was for. Because um, deconstruction is just a process. 
It's the process of finding truth. So when I look at the history books of, of our, of, of America, like there are some truths that we've had to walk through over the years and we just deconstructed some of those truths and go, wow, what I was taught wasn't really the truth, but I don't walk away from, from being a citizen. I don't say, well, because this is the way it really was. I'm done being an American. That's it. Going to Mexico, <laughs> Canada. But we'll take that to the, tr the church and say, well, this is what it is. And I deconstructed this. And well, I thought this is the way that we're supposed to do it. Well, then I'm done with the church and I'm done with God. And, and that's because there's been a lack of discipleship. Like, trust me, everybody at some point in their walk with God, when we were young in our faith, we questioned things. And if there was no room to question it, you were left to your own device to find the truth. And without any foundational knowledge of that, how do you come to the truth? Right. Wow. With this understanding, now I come to realize that um, I went to a little bit of a deconstruction myself before I even came to the Lord. Because growing up uh, culturally Catholic, my mom wanted me to have some kind of biblical base. So I, through Amway, I think it was, because she's Amway, um, she met the, this couple and, and they were Jehovah's Witnesses. So she would invite the, the the husband to come over and have Bible study with me. Yeah. And so he would try to explain the Bible from his eyes or their, their, their belief. The 144,000. Right. And their understanding. And they just left me even more confused. And I was like, well, if all this is confusing and everybody's doing it according to their own opinion, I don't want anything to do with it. And it just left me so confused that even... When I came to the faith, uh, there are certain things that were lingering that I had to just get rid of. Like, uh, they don't believe in the Trinity. Right. And for the longest, I was like, wait, there's, you know, the Godhead is three and one? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I, I had to be discipled to understand that. Point. So that's, that's the point, right? So, like, like, the whole purpose of seeking truth and finding truth is that you might be wrong. What you initially believed might be wrong. That's the whole reason why these people went down. I don't want to say these people, excuse me for <laughs> your listeners out there, but I'm, I don't, I don't claim to be a deconstructionist. I, I'm an apologist. Like I'm going to defend what I believe. I firmly believe all of the things that I preach. Like I firmly believe in all of it and you can challenge it. You can question it. I don't mind any of that stuff. But if you're going to go down the road of trying to deconstruct your belief in something, what if you're wrong and Jesus really is real? Jesus really did live. Jesus really did die. And he really did raise on the third day. Like so often they're so bent on disproving what they believed in that they leave no room that they could be wrong. Mm. And they come to this, this truth. So there are people that started on the deconstruction um, movement and have become more invigorated in their faith in God. Because they left the option open, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe what I think about this is wrong and they're actually right. And so they came to the faith crisis and said, wow, I was wrong for thinking this way. They were actually right. And now I have more faith than I've ever had before. Mm. So that's, the, that's, the, that's part of the deconstruction movement you don't hear about. Is that people start down a road and they go, wow, okay, I was actually wrong. Now that we're 
talking about leaving room for, you know, discipleship, leaving room for maybe I was wrong. I, I'll bring up this point. Um, a couple of things that we've been learning here at City Reach and that, of course, people, not everybody's going to agree with. True. Um, worship. Mm-hmm. How we worship. Yeah. I remember growing up where, okay, the musicians just played and stood still. Yeah. That was just a cultural thing. Just, right. Okay. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody prayed. Everybody, you know, mm-hmm. um, tried their best to seek the Lord. And no, no, I'm not really trying to criticize them. I'm just kind of going over what I remember. I do remember that everybody, you know, during worship, you know, they would, they, they would close their eyes. They would, you know, they believed in the anointing of the Holy spirit. And I do remember hearing a prophetic word upon people's lives, my own life as well, growing up now coming here at city reach. It's that, and now a little bit more, especially when it's during a service and we're talking about praising and worshiping and you see people running. Yeah. You see Mm -hmm. people dancing. Yeah. I never stand still on the bass unless I'm, 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 I'm making calls to the other musicians, but I, I, I'm like, why am I just standing still? Why? Mm. I'm like, I'm, I, I, I'm literally playing and worshiping for the most high. Why am I just going to be right? I, I can't stand still. Right. Why? Why is that different? Why? Why? People will not accept that. Oh, you guys are running around. You guys are being reckless. God is God of order. Yeah. Why is that not accepted? Well, I think because it's, it's uh, uncomfortable. And I think anything that's uncomfortable initially is unacceptable. Like this is not like, you're not going to lay on your bed for long. If it's uncomfortable, you're going to change. You're going to move. So anything uncomfortable at first is unacceptable in our brains, in our minds. And so that's why. So people begin to, you know, look at other people and say, well, that's, that's not of God or that's not good or that's this or that's that. And other people don't care and they just go for it. And I've been to Dodger games. I've been to Laker games. I've been to football games. I've been to concerts. I've been to comedy concerts, uh, comedy shows, and I watch how people celebrate. And I find it very odd that nobody questions a dude that's like 400 pounds taking off his shirt and painting his whole body and running like a madman through the stadium. Nobody questions that. They actually encourage that. But then we come to church and somebody runs in the altar and we're like, whoa. What are you doing? What in the world? Or we have, you know, worship that is just bonkers. And people are like, "How? Huh, no, this, this can't be of God. What? I just don't, I don't, I don't. I don't understand that way of thinking. I'm not here for your approval. I'm not here for, I'm not here to be impressed by your worship. 
I'm here to worship. And if I feel like running, I'm going to run. If I feel like kneeling, I'm going to kneel. If I feel like it's time for me just to lift my hands and just be in complete, in the glory of God, whatever you want to describe it as, that's what I'm going to do. I'm here to worship the King. And if you have a problem with that, just keep having a problem with it. Because I didn't come here to worry about how somebody else worships my God. I came to give him worship. And if everybody that was truly sold out to Christ would have that same attitude, we wouldn't have a problem. But remember, because it's uncomfortable, they don't want it. Unex- they, they, they don't like it. We were talking about um, deconstruction, you know, a lot today. And, and I think when I was, I was just telling Danny, when you look at the question, some of the questions have a negative connotation to them because that's what people think. Like, so when I saw one of the questions, it's what does it mean to deconstruct one's faith? Perfectly fine. Is deconstruction biblical? You know, it's like it has that negative side, like you already have a mindset like I need to know this question because I feel like it is not biblical. And so I want to make sure 100 percent rather than, you know, asking different questions, what leads Christians to deconstruct their faith? So it's all this area of where like maybe the majority of people that are deconstructionalists are not believers. And that's not 100 percent true. Right. The majority of them have stepped away either from church or from ministry and a lot have stepped from the faith, but some still consider to be Christians. They're just trying to find truth in that. And so, you know, because if we're being honest and there's, there's some listeners out there that will relate to this being raised in a legalistic church pushes you away from the faith so you deconstruct your faith based on that experience. Yeah, I think we've talked about that, that yeah. I'm like, oh, this experience, like kind of pushed me off of this is again, yeah. why now here at city reach, I'm like, what do you mean running around? What do you mean jumping around? And I remember it, growing up, they'd be like, I bet you, if you were in a game, you'd be screaming. Right, I right. bet you, if you're in a game, you'd be doing this. And you'd be like, yeah, man. And you, you still struggle. <laughs> right. But it's like, so I grew up in a, in a church and I'm not going to name the church grateful for what foundations that it taught us. Yes. Right. right. But my mom couldn't wear pants. Mm. Same. Right. She couldn't wear makeup. Same. She had to have her hair in a bun, which is why to this day. And if there's any listeners out there that know me well, it's the reason why I hate buns in women's hair. Hate it. And man buns. <laughs> is I that why I hate it on, on my, no. my wife? I, no. So there's a, I cannot stand <laughs> buns. There's something he shared with me. A long time ago, and now I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense. I can't stand it. It makes so much sense. Is that why? It so makes she, so much she sense. She could only wear her wedding band. Like, she couldn't be adorned. And, you know, they took a scripture that said that we should not, you know, be overly, you know, adorned in all these things. And and they took that, and they made doctrine out of their understanding of scripture. 
And so as I searched the scripture, I deconstructed that, that, that belief, but mm. I never walked away from my faith. I wanted to know like, Hey, if this is right, then that's what my wife is going to do. Right. Like you're not wearing pants to church. You're going to wear a skirt or you're going to wear a dress. Like I want to know if that's real. And I just, only thing that I could find is about the modesty of what we wear. And I thought to myself, well, that's, that's pretty broad. Like just be modest, be, you know, be, be good in what we wear. And so I deconstructed that truth. So deconstruction is this pursuit of truth. And and I hope, and I pray for all of your listeners out there that that's what we want is the truth, which is Jesus Christ. He is the only way, but there are a lot of things that people do like how one worships or how one does this or how one does that, that people need to come to the truth. Who, who says that you can't run? Mm. Who, where, where in the Bible does it tell you not to run or jump? Right. It said that David worshiped so intensely that his danced right out of his tunic. Mm. Like there, and his wife, right at the time was like, you look like a fool. You look like a fool for doing that. And David didn't care. He's like, I don't care what you think. That's the kind of worship I want. So like, when we look at the 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 man-made things that we we put into church, I can remember when we planted our church in Forest Hills, Queens, we planted in a movie theater because that's the only place that we could find I've cheap been, enough space. And, been a couple of those. Right? In the movie theater. And I remember my wife telling me about the way that her family was raised, that you weren't even supposed to go to a movie theater. Nope. In what? Spanish, we, we we considered it as uh, I can't remember the translation, but "sia descarnecedores." What? Like I don't That's know what that means. In, I don't know. What that means. Uh, I don't know. What for all means. your English speaking Speak. listeners, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight for you right now. <laughs> speak more English. Not all of us uh, speak Spanish. We may look like we speak Spanish, but we but don't all. speak Spanish. Not all. Uh, but so we planted there, and. We were told by by several people like, man, when I grew up, like we weren't even allowed to go into a movie theater. Now we have a church. We have churches that are in 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 bars. We have church. You know what I mean? We have all this stuff. And somebody along the way told you that this wasn't right. But I wanted to deconstruct that belief. All right. So this is where deconstruction needs to be handled correctly. We're not deconstructing truth. We're deconstructing belief. There you go. Oh, so like the truth is Jesus Christ is the only way. The truth is we believe in the Holy Trinity. The truth is Jesus is coming back. The truth is there's no other way to heaven, but through Jesus Christ and his salvation that he gives us freely. But if you're going to argue with me about how many times a month you should take communion, well, let's deconstruct that belief right now. The Bible simply says, as often as you do this, do so unto me. So the most important thing to do while you have communion is to do it unto the Lord, to remember that. You can do it every day if you want. You can do it once a month, but we should have a practice of communion, right? Right. Yeah, I think before I got married, we did it maybe 30 days just before, like every single night. Every and it's night. perfectly fine as long as it doesn't become a ritualistic thing where you're more righteous than somebody else because you do this 30, you know, 30 days straight. Right. You know? Um, so there's all these beliefs that are in 
our faith as Christians. And some of them are just not, not biblical. They're not biblical. And so people for years, this is deconstructing is not a new thing, but you can't, you cannot deconstruct faith. Like that's, that's not, or the truth, excuse me, deconstruct the truth. Like the truth is, is, is the truth. Is the truth. The you truth, can't, yeah. can't deconstruct that. And, and unfortunately it has gone down the path of moving from deconstructing what we believe into now trying to deconstruct our faith, which is Jesus Christ, the truth of that Jesus Christ and all that. And deconstruction is just a process. The problem that I've seen is the deconversion has become the result. What is deconversion? When you completely walk away from the faith and you say, I no longer believe in God. I no longer believe in these things. So like agnostic? Um, atheistic mostly because I just don't believe in God anymore. You know, agnostic believes like you were talking about that famous, like I believe in the God of the universe. You, you have some mysticism to, there's a bigger thing out there. You don't believe in a, in a, in a triune God. You don't believe in the God of heaven and earth and the creator, but you believe in, in, Something, something that's something agnostic. That's, that's agnostic. Atheistic is I just don't believe that God oh, exists at all. I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in the devil. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in angels. I don't believe in demons. I believe we live, we die, and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love atheists that tell me I don't believe in anything. Well, you you believe that something doesn't exist, so you still have a belief. It's all faith. Even atheists have faith. They have a faith that nothing exists. Right. And so the problem that has arisen from the deconstruction movement is there's been a lack of discipleship within that. So there's nobody balancing your search for truth with the actual truth. So you might say, well, baptism this and baptism that and communion this and communion that. Well, you have to have somebody that can come alongside you and say, okay, what's, what do you believe about this? And why do you have a problem with it? Well, this, that, and the other. Well, come on, let's go through the scripture. Let's build some foundation. And maybe, just maybe, you'll find the truth and you're wrong. Or maybe we'll both discover that, hey, I was, I've been thinking about this the wrong way my whole life. I think I've had a couple of problems like that before. I think me and you have talked about it where I'm like, wait, wait, wait. What what do you mean we have all the ability to speak in tongues? Like we we can all have that? What? Yeah. yeah. Like what do you mean this? What do you mean that? And I've been just I, I, I have, you know, as as young as thirteen, I, I've been a musician mm-hmm. in some one aspect or another. And you tend not to pay attention during the service, sadly. Now, not everybody, not everybody. I'm not going to accuse everybody of doing it, but I know I did it. Now as an adult and with that conviction in my heart, no matter what's going on, like I still have my phone with me in case my wife needs something during service or um, the worship pastor is asking me for something. But I try to just keep it keep it away because I mean, I try to be engaged. And sometimes I'll walk out after listening to preaching. I'm like, I question, okay, was it that I was taught wrong, that I was taught this, 
Did I not pay attention? Why do I feel so dumb? Why do I feel so ignorant hearing this verse in this perspective now? For me, it was, uh, I was taught wrong. 100%. I knew for a fact it was, I was taught wrong. Were you all, okay, were you on that Catholic side where they'd be like, uh, don't do that or God's going to be mad at you? No, basically. And there was no, there was no room for questioning. And it was like, we, we tell you what the Bible says. Don't and that's, that's key, right? So what you're just saying right now, that's key. And I'm not trying to cut you off, but I just want your listeners to hear what you're saying. Like there are moments where you shouldn't, you should not just jump up and question what's being spoken. So pastor's preaching, there's a large crowd and he's in, she's in, whoever's preaching, they're preaching. What you do you mean? Yeah. You don't raise your hand in the context of a church service and say, I need, no, but there needs to be room for you. That's why counseling, you know, that's why having connection, that's why we have a great team of pastors here at our church. So that those moments where you're like, man, I walked out of man. He said that, and I want to know more. I want to know what, like, what is the context of this? What's the foundation of this? Because I don't want to be taught wrong, or I don't want to misinterpret what was spoken. And that's when you can get one-on-one or in a group setting of discipleship and ask those questions so that you can have foundation. Oh, I got lists. I got lists of questions. <laughs> and, and personally, um, here at the church, we believe in the fivefold ministry, right? right? We believe in the apostle, the evangelist you know, prophet, teacher, and pastor. And Ooh, I know those are some dangerous terms right there. Cause not everybody, still right, not believes everybody believes again, still believes in deconstruction, all right? Yes. Deconstruction comes right. in those moments of the, well, I don't believe in the fivefold ministry. That's great. Do you believe in God? Yes. You believe in Jesus. Okay. We can start there. Cause if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in God, then I don't, it doesn't matter if you believe in the fivefold ministry or not. But if you believe in that, well, then we can deconstruct this belief. Well, okay. Pastor Rob, why do you believe? in the fivefold ministry. Oh, well, here's a scripture that plainly states all five offices and the purpose of these offices. That's why I believe it. Next question. Like that's, that's the purpose of it. Leave room for, for questioning, leave room so people can grow in their faith so that when you are faced by maybe a younger believer or somebody that's been serving Christ for a long time that says, oh, you go to that church and they believe in the fivefold ministry. That's a whack, bro. Why? <laughs> well, that's whack, yo. Yeah, that's whack, yo. Whack. Let me let me show you how my pastor showed me in scripture why we believe this, and that's all we do as apologists. I don't defend God. I don't defend the Word of God. I don't need to. I actually need God to defend me. Mm-hmm. I don't need Him to defend me. I mean, I don't need to defend Him, but I do have to defend why I believe in Him. Right. And so that's all we do. And when we are talking about somebody that's deconstructing their belief or their faith, they have some sort of connection to scripture. So you got to use scripture. As far as somebody you just met that doesn't believe in God, that doesn't believe in anything like that, it's harder to witness to them about scriptures if they don't believe in the scriptures. You got to kind of, you know, talk to them in a different way. But when they're deconstructing their faith, like, got to use scripture but that's what i just wanted to just for your listeners to hear like that's the most important part we're not saying de- we're not here saying that deconstruction is a is a negative thing necessarily we're just trying to gain some understanding of it i'm trying to gain understanding because uh when i was doing my research for deconstruction to come up with these questions most 
like 95% of the material that I found was all uh, with a negative connotation. There was nothing like, oh, well, I de deconstructed my belief or, or my faith and then led me back to Christ in this manner. Well, yeah, I, I still have yet to read something there's like that. Le there's less of that because people go into deconstructing with the notion, I want to disprove everything that I believe about God. So they're yes. not looking mm -hmm. for the opposite of it, right? So for, and man, I, you might have to cut this out because I don't want to cause a holster and screw people's theology up. But to say that God exists is to also leave room for somebody to argue that point to you. Right. Mm -hmm. So somebody can come to me and say, Hey, here's all the facts of why God doesn't exist. Right. They can. Right. And they could, they could be completely 100% sold on the fact that God doesn't exist. And I can bring out all of my facts and bring nature into it and bring this into it to prove the existence of God. Right. And so this is where we are as a people. There's no, Everybody wants to argue and divide. Right. But in this phase, in this, what we're talking about today, it can actually be something that unifies us if they leave an opening to be wrong. Mm. But most of the people that you read about, they already were set on, I'm done with it. I'm done with church. I'm done with God. I'm done with the Bible. And so I'm going to go down this path to prove why I'm done with it. They don't have the other side open-minded, but there are people out there that have deconstructed, that have gone through the deconstruction portion of their faith and been more invigorated than ever before in their faith. That happened to me. What I was amazed at is that um, the, these people with such big platforms, they had a common denominator where they were hurt by leadership and that's what led them to deconstruction. Now that I'm hearing you, sir, it's like you need the leadership to guide you through this to bring you back. So since the inception of, of the church, there have been bad leaders. And unfortunately, there are, there are bad leaders. Right. There are leaders that will hurt you. There are leaders that don't have the right intention. And there are leaders that will have moral failures. There's all kinds of that that will happen but there are a plethora of incredible leaders mm. great minds and great pastors and leaders in churches all over the world that if people would take the time to seek out the wisdom i think pastor parsley said this uh the friday he was with us and i think i've heard him say it before and i hope i don't butcher it but i might he said you rarely recognize greatness when you're in the presence of it yep yeah, that's exactly right. So, like, there are are incredibly minded people, Christians, that could help disciple you and help walk you down this 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 path that you're on, but you don't talk to them. Mm. You just you're already you're already set up here because you've been hurt, because you're angry, because you've come to some conclusion that bad things happen, which means God is bad or God doesn't exist, and so you just go down this path and. You don't leave room for the other side of it. So that's the majority of the people that you'll, if you just type in deconstruction in Google, you'll see, you know, this, 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 this with mostly the, the side where people have walked away. Rarely right. do you see the side that people 
stayed on that path and they, they went down and they said, wow, man, I was wrong. I was wrong. God is good and God does exist. And I'm, I have more faith than I've ever had before. That's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. That's why I became who I am today. Cause I wanted to work through this. I wanted to make sure that what I believed in was real and was true. And so I went down the path to deconstruct my belief in what church was and how church ran and, and who God was depended on how we received it. I told you we went to a legalistic church. So that was my view of God. So I wanted to deconstruct all that and find the truth. And Mm. I was perfectly fine if that was exactly how God designed it to be. Like I was perfectly fine if legalism was it. And I came to that truth. I was open to saying I was wrong and that was right. And I'm going to do it this way. But I wanted to find the truth. And once I found the liberty in that and found the truth, I was set on a path that nobody could ever take me away from it. Mm. And that's the beauty of this search for truth, that once you find it, nobody can take you away from it. Are you familiar with uh, Lee Strobel? Yes. So I'm trying to figure out how to question this. So with, with his story, he wasn't he was atheist. Right. When he started his case for Christ, Correct. which is the name of the book and the name of, of the movie that came out afterwards. And he's investigating and trying to find evidence of, as to why Christ isn't real. Mm-hmm. Is that a form of deconstruction before he even no, knew it? Cause, no, because he didn't believe. Okay. He was just setting, he was setting out to prove that God doesn't exist. Right. Like he already did that. So what mm-hmm. we're talking about here is somebody that had an initial belief in God belief in the system of the church and all that they believed in all that and now they don't want to believe in it anymore he was just complete he didn't believe and so he you can say it's a form of deconstruction in the sense of like he was deconstructing his own belief that nothing existed right right but in this area that we're talking about we're really just talking about the deconstruction of people's faith okay. that are believers and that no longer are believers or are struggling with their faith mm. so does that make sense yes sir okay well, I think we've covered a lot today. It's it's amazing. It's I'm amazing. I'm blown away. I also I love it. I also now have more questions. But in in, Which, in that's, more that's the beauty of this, right? So I don't want to use the word deconstruction because I don't want to give any power to people saying, Well, Pastor Rob on that podcast said that deconstruction is perfectly fine. Like that's not what this is about. But when we question, we should come and drive and it should raise more questions. And we should constantly be in, 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 in this search for, for everything that God has. Because there's the mysteries of the word of God. There's the mysteries of God himself that we're trying to discover. And that's why the more you get, the more, you, the more time you spend with God, the greater revelation you can receive. And this is more, he's revealing more and more and more and more. So the same scriptures you read 10 years ago, you have a greater revelation of them 10 years later. Right. How can that be? Because God is a never-ending resource or never-ending source of knowledge and wisdom. And so we just keep pushing. And so I pray and I hope that as people have watched today or listened today, and you guys have asked questions that you have another list of questions to say, okay, so I got that now. Now I got like a whole nother list of questions (laughs) that I need need answers for. And when we get to the bottom of that list, whether I'm right, whether I'm wrong, I'm going to have a whole nother list of questions. Because I believe that that you should never stop asking questions. I mean, 
no matter how much knowledge I have, I crave more knowledge. Right. And I crave more of God's presence. I crave more revelation, more anointing. All I crave that. And so if I stop seeking, I mean, in order to seek something, you have to ask, right? Right. Right. Seek me and you will find me. So I always, I always look at seek, ask, all that. As people always think, like, I'm asking God for something. I ask God for more revelation. And I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep knocking until God continues. He'll just keep revealing more and more to me. So I'm glad that that was the result of today is that you have another list of questions. Yes. You know, for the next, vic- I mean, your next guest. <laughs> well, well there, there's one thing that I've always kept with me since the day we met that was one of the first things that you shared with me when we first met was that never be the smartest man in the room. No, never. If you are the smartest man in the room, find, a find different another room. room. Yes. Find a different room because, you know, there are, there are moments in life that you do find yourself that you have the most experience and you have the most years or most knowledge, but that doesn't mean you're the smartest. No. Right. I can right. be in a room full of doctors and not be the smartest person in the room, even though they have all the experience and everything. Or I can be in a room full of pastors that I've had more years and more experience. And there's still somebody hopefully in that room that can teach me something. Yeah. Right. You know, and that's, that's the point, right. Is like in this, in this scenario here, we should not be the smartest person in the room, even though we might have years and experience and all that. You guys should be able to teach me something too. Base. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you teach base. me the base. <laughs> all right. Pastor Rob, we'd like to thank you. Is there any last words that you want to leave our listeners with before we take off? Yeah. You know, I I hope through everything that we talked through today, I hope that everything that you've heard today, that you know one thing, that um, the truth is that God is real. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for each and every one of us. And if we put our faith in him, we can have eternal life through him. And through, if you're in the stage of deconstructing and you're questioning you know, please reach out to somebody, talk to them, get discipled and leave room to be wrong. I'm wrong all the time, according to my wife. <laughs> Mine says the same thing too. There you go. Well, guys, we'd like to thank you for joining us in this very special first interview that we have here at the Remnant Podcast. Again, like Pastor Rob has said, if you need prayer, if you have questions, please reach out to us on our social medias. We are more than happy to help you. And again, if we can't help you ourselves, we will find counseling and people <laughs> like Pastor Rob to help us help you. Again, thank you very much for joining us today on the on the on a new episode of the Remnant <laughs> Podcast.